this morning we are during our second service at 10 o'clock going to be having a, uh, a baptism maybe I think seven individuals that are going to be baptized so <coughs> uh, second service doesn't get a message this morning uh, their message is going to be the testimonies of uh, those people which is always a great time so if you get the morning and uh, you want to hang around for that it's going to be a great a great service so what I'd like to do is, since we are focusing on uh, baptism today, I, I'm going to take some time and, and just talk about baptism, talk about what it means, talk a little bit about why we, from a biblical standpoint, why we, we do what we do, and hopefully this will be informative for you as, as we go through this this morning. Now, there's three things I'd like to do. I'd like to take a little time and just take a, a, an overview biblically at baptism, and then I'd like to talk about uh, two of the predominant views today on baptism that you'll find within the evangelical church, and then lastly, I, I want to just remind us this morning of the significance of baptism in terms of, of, of what it means. So that's where we're going to go this morning. So as you go to the Bible and you begin to read in the Bible about baptism, uh, we will f you'll find that there's three different baptisms which are talked about in the Bible. And so I'd like to take a biblical overview of this. You know, there are churches have different traditions and so forth, but <clears throat> I'd like us just to see this morning uh, from a biblical, taking it from the Bible, what, what does the Bible teach us about baptism? And so the first baptism you'll come across in, in the Scripture is John's baptism. John's baptism. And so I'm going to, you're going to see quite a few verses this morning as we go through these because I want, I want you to see this from the, from the scripture this morning. And so I'll be reading a number of them. The first one is from Mark 1. And here's, here's where we find the first mention of baptism in the, in the New Testament. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching, and here it is, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So the, the first thing we see here is we see this description of John's baptism. By the way, the word when you see the word baptism in the Bible, that is the English spelling of a Greek word is what it is. When the Bible was translated into English back in the 1400s, uh, this word was not translated, it was transliterated, which means instead of translating it in terms of what the meaning, the word was in English, they took the word baptizo and they spelled it out in English letters, baptism. Uh, if you had actually interpreted that word from the Greek, your text today would read, whenever you see the word uh, baptism, you would see the word immerse or dip. 
that's the English meaning of, of the word that uh, baptizo. Baptism, we see for John, was a baptism of repentance, and it, was, it, it appears to be here a preparation for the coming of Christ. Preparing of the heart, because the first thing that has to happen in a person's heart to be prepared for Christ is the word called repentance. And repentance is just, it, it means to change your mind or change your direction. It means to acknowledge that there is a need for change in a person's life. So if I've been living independently of God, if I just live my own life, even if I try and live a moral life and a good life, but I'm living independently of God and independently of my need for Christ, then I am in need of repentance. And I am in need to change from that attitude that I, I don't really need Christ or I don't really need God's work of forgiveness. Repentance is a change of heart and it precedes any conversion, any salvation experience. So that's the first thing that we see here. It's interesting when you go to Ukraine and people will share their testimony, they, they will never get up and say, this is when I was saved or this is when I was converted or this. They will say, this is when I repented. This is when I repented. And so repentance here is very important. We see there's a whole baptism in John's day for that. Now, we obviously are not admonished or even have the opportunity to participate in this baptism because this is a baptism that was uh, preparing for the coming of Christ. It's also interesting as you look at this that it says, and I don't know if you caught this, but I, I had this vision of John as being somebody who was, you know, kind of this, he was kind of a weird looking guy. He wore skins and ate locusts and honey and you know that there are a few oddballs coming out to, uh, to, for, for, to be baptized by John, but it's interesting. Listen to what it says. It says, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. We're talking now, we're talking about thousands and tens of thousands of people that came out uh, to be baptized. The Jews knew that the Messiah was coming, and so they were probably thinking about the fact that something was ahead, and so they came out, and confessing their sins, they were baptized by John's baptism. In Matthew 3, verses 5 to 8, and I'd like you to, <clears throat> you can follow along or up on the wall or, or read in your Bible along. 3, 5 through 8, it says, People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea, the whole region of Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptized, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And so he challenges the, the Pharisees who are coming out. He's saying, you guys are not repentant. And so he, he challenges them to produce fruit in their life that would indicate that they were repentant. They were very proud. They kept the law. They knew the law. And they were not open to their need for the coming Messiah. 
And that was obvious as they would be the ones that would crucify him not long thereafter. So Jesus comes in chapter 3, verse 13, and we see that Jesus participates in John's baptism. Here's the, here's the account. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, the heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. So here we see Jesus comes to John. John asks a question. It's a very good question. Jesus, why should I be baptizing you? It seems like you should be baptizing me. And Jesus' response is, I think this is important. He said, I need to do this to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, I need to do this because I need to do everything that my Father has called me to do. And Jesus here is setting a pattern for us. He's also identifying with us as people, as you know, Christ would be the one who would take upon himself the sins of all of us. And so we, we see here that Jesus is baptized as a, an example of being obedient to the Father. It's also powerful here as you look because here the Son of God is in the water and the heavens open and the Holy Spirit comes down and rests upon him and we hear the voice of God the Father. So we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the entire Trinity is here in this moment. And I would suggest to you that in the moment when someone is baptized that the Holy Spirit the Father and the Son are all present in that experience. It's a very, very powerful moment. So that was John's baptism. That was John's baptism. Now, there's a second kind of baptism that we read about in the Bible, and that's what we would call Christian baptism or baptism in the name of Jesus. And that begins in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost. So as you would be reading through, if you were reading through the New Testament, first you'd come to this baptism of John. And then in Acts 2, you would read these words. It says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So here's the first example of what we call Christian baptism in the Bible. There were 3,000 people that believed, and they went down into the water, <coughs> and they were baptized uh, <coughs> to demonstrate the fact that they had believed in the name of, of Christ. This is the birthplace of Christian baptism. Now, just one interesting passage. If, if you go to Acts, a little farther on in, in chapter 19, I'd like you to listen to what happens here. This is verse 1, chapter 19. 
Now, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road to the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. So there we hear the the purpose of John's baptism. Then, listen to this. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. So here we see that many people in in the first century were baptized more than once. Anyone that was baptized by John's baptism after Christ had come and after Pentecost was again baptized now in the name of Christ. They were baptized as as they came to place their faith in Christ. They were baptized again. John's baptism acknowledged they were a sinner. Christ's baptism acknowledges that they are saints. And so we see that Christian baptism here was immersing believers who have come to faith uh, when they place their faith in Christ. We see this example <coughs> repeated time and time again. We have Jesus' words then as, as he leaves. and These are the last words in the book of Matthew. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore, go. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to make disciples of all nations. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There's that reference to the Trinity again. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so until the end of the age, the church is called to go to make disciples. Part of making disciples is a step of, certainly of faith, and then as a sign of that faith, baptism and teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded. So that is Christian baptism as we see it in the New Testament. And then, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but the third baptism you see mentioned is the baptism of the Spirit. You know, John said, we read this earlier, John said, I come and baptize with water, but there's one coming who's going to baptize you. Remember, the word means immerse you with the Holy Spirit. And so we, we, we call this the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 is a, a passage that defines this for us. And, and I would like to read that because there, is, there has been confusion about the term baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that 1 Corinthians 12 describes that. Here's what it says. It says, for we were all, it's talking about, the people in the church now. He says, For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. And so baptism of the spirit is what, is, is what happens when you become a Christian. You can't become a Christian without being immersed or baptized by the spirit. Now there are other references in the Bible to being filled with the spirit, fullness of the Spirit, but biblically that term baptism of the Holy Spirit is what happens when a person is converted. It's what places them in the body of Christ 
and we see that uh, description here. Christian baptism, the act of going down under the water, is really a picture then. It's really a, a, a symbolic picture of the spirit baptism which has taken place in a person's life. And so that's a, a brief overview of the three baptisms that you'll find in, in the New Testament. Now secondly, let me just talk about a couple of views. There are, there are a couple of predominant views on baptism. One is uh, adult believer baptism. Uh, a second is infant baptism. And I'm sure there are many people here who have <coughs> experienced infant baptism. Some of you have perhaps just experienced infant baptism. Some, have, some of you have experienced both infant baptism and believer baptism. Uh, some of you may not have been baptized at all. Infant baptism is a <coughs> comes out of, and I'd like to just explain this kind of where it comes from because you know, people that believe in, in infant baptism do so for reasons, and they do so for biblical reasons. Uh, there are people that I highly respect that support infant baptism, R.C. Sproul, uh, many great Reformed scholars. Uh, they don't believe necessarily that baptism saves you, but they believe uh, in infant baptism. And the, here's the reason why. I'm, I'm going to try and just give you this in about two minutes. But in the Old Testament... The, the children, and the, however, it, the analogy breaks down a little bit because it was just the males in that day, but God commanded that all of the males be circumcised. And so when an infant was born, they were circumcised, and that was a sign that they were part of the covenant family of God. The parents were committing their children, and those children were a part of the covenant family. And, you know, when something happened with a dad, it, it, it affected the whole family. And so covenant theology is a recognition that a child that is brought up in the church or is, or is born into a, a Christian home uh, has, has, an, has an identity there. The scripture says children that are born are holy. They're, they're set apart in a, a special place of blessing. And so those that adhere to infant baptism would say, well, in the Old Testament, it was circumcision was the sign of being a part of, of the covenant family. And so now in the, the New Testament, baptism becomes that sign. And so parents, as in the Old Testament, parents circumcise their children. So now parents should baptize their children uh, in the New Testament. So that, in a very condensed uh, form, is, is where that, that comes from. And, and those who argue for that would say, that although we don't have any record of infant baptism in the first two centuries, by the third and fourth centuries, it was very common, and we find no reaction, no counsel, we, we can't find historically any reaction against infant baptism in the third and fourth centuries. Therefore, uh, from a historical standpoint, there are those who argue to say, you know, baptism must have been accepted in the early church if we find no reaction against it. The second view of baptism is that baptism is something which is connected with personal faith. And so that what baptism is, is when a person places their faith in Christ, then they are called as a, an act of obedience to God and as an outward expression of this inward faith 
and what has happened in their life that they are called to an act of obedience through baptism. That is the, the, the second line of reasoning. And being baptized, as we will do this morning with people who have believed, you'll hear their testimonies of faith, and then they'll be immersed in water. Uh, just briefly, the reasons we do that, number one is the word baptism means to immerse or to dip. Doesn't mean, uh, it doesn't mean anything other than that. So the, the meaning of the word, Matthew 28, Jesus said, go, make disciples, baptizing those disciples. You baptize disciples in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The third reason we do it is that every example that you can find, you'll find no example in all of the Bible of anything other than adults being baptized. Uh, <clears throat> you'll find no examples, any clear examples of infant baptism. The only, the only thing you can try and, and see there, there are some references to household oikos baptisms in the New Testament where entire households were baptized. And there are those that say, well, there must have been infants in those households. Um, but interestingly enough, the Philippian jailer story where the whole household is baptized, if you read carefully, it says, and they preached the gospel to all who were in the house. And at the end, it says, and they rejoiced because all had come to believe. So <clears throat> we know that if there were infants there, they could not have come to believe. And so... We don't find any clear examples of anything other than adult uh, or people who have believed being baptized in the New Testament. We also know that we have no references to infant baptism in the first two centuries of the church. And uh, the other thing we find here is the symbolism of death. You know, when we go down in the water, it's a symbol of, of death to, to the old life and death to sin and and the, the picture of being raised up into new life. And so we see it's a beautiful picture of that. I understand covenant theology. Um, I do not diminish people who have been baptized as an infant for the meaning that had for, for their families in doing so. We dedicate children here. We don't, we don't, uh, we, we're not involved in infant baptism. Uh, so. So I don't poo-poo that in any way or try and diminish that. But I do say that biblically, if you're going to read the Bible, we see the example of baptism. There's a, there's a place and a call when you have come to personally place your faith to demonstrate that through baptism as we see defined uh, in the Scripture. There's a lot more we could say about that, but <clears throat> I'll, I'll, leave it, I'll leave it at that. And the other thing I'll just say about if, if circumcision, which was very, very clearly taught, parents were very clearly instructed over and over again that they were to circumcise their children. Uh, when we get to the New Testament, if we were to baptize our children, it, it just seems to me there'd be some clarity in the New Testament or some straightforward commands to do so. And so it, you won't find that in the New Testament and so that is why we practice what we do. Again, I, I respect people who have different points of view on that, but this is what uh, I have personally come to believe and what we practice here. Finally, let, let me just talk about why this is, is such a significant thing. Uh, back in 1978, I, 
I stood in front of about 200 people and uh, there was a young lady across from me and we had rings that we exchanged with one another and that was a pretty special moment and uh, at that moment I turned to my best man and, and uh, he gave me a ring and, and my now wife Vicki did the same and uh, we placed rings on, on each other's fingers. Now, the, the ring, you know, putting rings on somebody's finger does not mean you're married. But it was the vows that we had made to one another, the covenant vows that we had made and, and pledged before God to one another. And so the rings were a, they were a symbol. It was an important, a very meaningful part of the ceremony, but it was really a symbol of, of the vows uh, and the relationship that we had committed to with one another. When you think about baptism, that, that's kind of an analogy of, of what I see is that you know, the baptism is, is a, a symbolic representation of, of the vows and the commitment that, that one person has made to Christ to say, I'm, I'm committing my life to you for, you know, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, for sickness and in health. I'm committing my love to you, and God is committing his covenant love back to us as his people. And so baptism is a, is a beautiful picture, a beautiful symbol of that relationship that a person has entered into. I wanted to share with you a couple of passages. The first one is Romans 6, and uh, I'll, I'll just conclude with these two. This is a picture now of what baptism represents in the life of a believer. And I want you to listen for how many times you hear the word die or death in this passage. What shall we say then? Should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. For we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again, and death can no longer have mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Fourteen times he uses the word death. And baptism, when a person goes down under the water, it's, it's symbolic of death, of burial how we've been united with Christ in his death. And just as Christ died and too was raised from the dead, so as people go down under the water, they are also raised up again, a powerful picture of the new life that is ours in Christ. One final passage, Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. We read this. It says, in him you are also circumcised. It's talking in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. 
having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And so this is a picture of what happens through your faith. Through your faith. That's really important. So baptism is something that you symbolize through, it, it is made possible through your faith. Baptism is a dramatization. It's a, it's a reenactment of the death of the old life and the receiving of the new life in Christ. God has brought us you know, out of the land of Egypt and, and through uh, to this new place of life that he has promised to us. Baptism is not about church membership. It's not some religious hoop that we're called to jump through. Baptism is a place, it is a ceremony where we, we publicly demonstrate to people that we have committed our lives to Jesus Christ and that he has committed to us. It's where we demonstrate all that happened in us when that took place. As we conclude this morning, uh, I'd like you to just watch this uh, a video, and it just describes, I think in a powerful way, the, the picture of baptism this morning.